and I can give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem, to the high pinnacle of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put your Lord God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Then we have it in James 1. It says this in verse 12. James 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So looking at this temptation story, it's one you may have heard before. You, you for sure heard it last Lent, because we went over it last Lent. So a year ago, if you were here, you heard this story, which is what you should know. Um, but I want to look at it in a little different way. Um, all, all this week and last, I've kind of been caught by this passage in James. This idea that when um, we're tempted not to say, well, maybe God is tempting me right now. Maybe he's led me to this temptation to test me, right? To, to test my holiness, right? We, we think that way sometimes. We're like, maybe, maybe I'm put in this position for God to, to grow me in the midst of this temptation. And the scripture's clear. James says, no, 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 that's, that's not the way to look at it at all. It's, it's not God tempting you. He's not putting you in a situation to be tempted on purpose. In fact, he goes further. A lot of times we'll say then, you know, you're tempted, we have this, we have the, and it's, it's probably like 25% of your favorite C.S. Lewis book, which is fine. Screw tape letters. Todd, I'm not, I'm not talking madness about screw tape letters. I'm not saying it's ridiculous. <laughs> However, I do find it interesting that, that after reading that, a lot of us, um, can say during temptation, oh, there's these evil forces tempting me always. That's, that's why I'm being tempted, right? This is the cause of my temptation, these evil forces, or the Satan, or this devil, or um, whatever else we may attribute to that, right? We can do that. James, though, takes it a step further, and it seems very clear that we are tempted because of our own selves. We have desires that are contrary to the king of heaven at hand, and to the, this, this leader of the kingdom, this Jesus, to the Holy Spirit present with us, we have desires contrary to those things. And James says, in fact, you're tempted because you have your own evil desires and they lead you towards something. It's us. It's, it's our own selves that cause us temptation. It's our own selves that instead of wanting righteousness, want selfishness or want whatever. Okay, Plug in whatever it would be there. We want to be the rulers of our own lives. It says, we, 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 in fact, have desires that lead to enticement, that lead to temptation, which leads to sin, which leads to death. Right? It's, it's, the blame seems to be on us. One can't say, oh, well, the devil got me again. It would seem we get ourselves. It would seem the, the, the responsibility, the action, the desire, the want is us. Right? And so, with that, 
going to this temptation of Jesus, I want us to look at these temptations of Jesus in the same way. Okay? It's and I, and I, I find this interesting that in fact here the devil does in fact tempt Jesus. Well, what things does Jesus get tempted for? And I wonder if in fact because Jesus is fully man and fully God, if these are desires Jesus might innately have, have as a man. If these are things that, in fact, Jesus would naturally, as a person, want. And so, thus are things he is tempted in the face of, right? And so, I want us to look at those together, because I think all of us can relate to every single one of these. And so, I just want us to look at how our own desires for these things can lead this way. And then, in fact, try to talk through a life that doesn't just resist temptation, but seeks righteousness. Okay, that, that does the opposite. Instead, again, instead of this gospel of sin management, we're like, hey, let's, for Lent, I'm going to sin less. What if, in fact, we said, for Lent, I'm going to focus on righteousness. Right? I want to focus on holiness. I want to focus on purity. I want to focus on these things that are, in fact, good, rather than saying, let's be less bad. You know? let's, let's do less not good things. Okay? So let's, let's look at the temptation of Jesus again. Um, and so anyway, he's, Jesus fasts. For a long time, 40 days, which 40 days may have been 40 days, right? But a lot of times scripture, 40 days is a long time. It's like a period of time. It's past a week. It's probably past a month. It's like a 40-day amount of time. It's a long time for a while. Okay, so Jesus is fasting for a while here. And it comes and says, you're the son of God. Command this stone to become bread. Jesus answers, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the other passage says, but by every word proceeds from God's mouth, right? And every word that we proceed from his breath, from God's exhale. It's like this idea that, no, I don't live from bread, I live from God's exhale. It's his breath to me, is my life, right? But what is the temptation here? What, what is the temptation? That's a real question. What, what is, what is Jesus' desire, possibly, right here, that he's being tempted of? few levels of it, I think. And again, I will turn your answer into a sort of right answer. Okay. Self-sufficiency. Do what? Self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency. Okay? What else, maybe? Hunger. Yeah, he's hunger. Right? He's fasted a long time. He's very hungry. I want bread. You know? <clears throat> what else? I think those are the main two. And I think it's interesting that this idea of self-sufficiency would be, would be asked of Jesus. That, that Jesus might, in fact, because he's a person, his innate desire might be to provide for himself, right? To take care of himself. To be the one who is responsible for his own success. To be like the one who reaches down at the bootstraps, you know? To be the one who causes people to like him. To be the one who makes his own bread. Okay? It's different than us. He can actually, if he wants to, I assume, we believe, he can really make a stone turned into bread. I mean, he made like three pieces of bread, or five, whichever one you read, a bunch of fish sandwiches for people. Remember on the hill or whatever he's teaching? So I'm sure he can do this. This is something not outside the scope. But it's again that temptation, that desire to be self-sufficient, that desire to handle your own life, to be the captain of your own ship, right, in that cheesy way, to be, to be the one who steers it however you please, to get to choose when to be righteous and when not to, 
to choose, yes, I can see holiness right now, and when to choose to say, I'm just tired. I'm just tired. So yeah, my response to that person, definitely not the best, but I'm tired, you know? That's how I get to. I'm, I, can, I can choose when righteousness can take hold of me, and I can choose when I can be, when I can pass, you know? My wife will forgive if I speak shortly. I have to see righteousness all the time with them. No one else at work always is righteous. How in the world would they get ahead if they are? Right? This idea of self-sufficiency is a part of us. And I feel like for us, during this time of Lent, I feel like, I know for our church, for us, the us, this one is, is ours. This one is a sin, is a life, is a desire of ours we have to own. And it, does, it deserves and demands repentance from us as a body. This desire to do it on our own. This desire to be able to. To be strong enough to. Right? Even, even this idea of living righteously we want to do on our own. No, we, we don't want to have to submit to humility and weakness and asking another person to help me in this area of my life that I need. I want to be able to do it. I want to take their burden. That's fine. Right? I just don't want to give mine. Which is part of the call of community. That is not a suggestion. It is how community is threaded together. To not be the one who only takes the burden, but be the one who shares it. This is the opposite of self-sufficiency. This is the opposite of making your own bread. This idea of saying, no, I need your bread, please help me. This idea of saying, no, I'm weighted down, I can't do this. Help me. That is, that is, we struggle there. We do. We want the other half of community. We want the half that, like, listens to the other one, takes their burden, which is, which is wonderful. That is a wonderful half. Okay? It's not that we should stop that. Please don't do that. That's good. But we need more. We need full communion. And we need full reliance on each other. And we need a full and unique body with hands and feet and a mouth and a heartbeat and lungs that work together really. That actually do need each other. That actually need God's exhale. I think we say that in such a trite manner but we don't trust that God's exhale could really provide for us. And that was the most East Texas way to say exhale. <laughs> exhale. God's exhale is great. No one knows that I'm doing something. Exhale? What's an exhale? Oh, goodness gracious. Okay. I didn't even go to these things. It's so bad. But I think we, we struggle with trusting that that exhale would provide for us. That it would provide our bread. In the midst of hunger, we would be given bread at the appropriate time. We doubt this. Even though we've seen it in someone else's life, we've seen it in our life, we doubt it. And so if we just take control, we can make our own bread. Okay? And then he goes further. Um, it's, he says it's written, man is not bread alone. And the devil takes him and shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment's time and says, To you I will give this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me and I can give it to you. Just worship me and it will be yours. So what's the temptation here? What's the innate, innate human desire that maybe is being capitalized on here? Power. What else? That's a big one. I think we want power in such subtle ways too. 
I think we want to like manipulate power so we don't seem power hungry. I think we all want power. I, I agree with you. I think that's a big one. What else? Control, maybe? Right? If you're in control of all the kingdoms of the world, they don't have to submit to worship them when they feel the tongue. You know, I'm getting pretty spiritual with that one, but does that make sense? What else? Power and control, what else? A few more. To you all, give all the authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me, and I can give it to you. What else? The glory from being in control. The, the, the vanity of that is so delicious, right? Oh man, it feels so good. When you're in control of something, and it's like sort of successful, isn't that just the most wonderfully unhumble thing you can find? It's so hard to make that a humble meat experience. Because you just like won, you know? You control the thing into being, you like willed it. We, we say this at work all the time, because, you know, I don't want to make it dramatic, but building house can be so frustrating. And we, we tell our project managers all the time, like, look, you need to will this to happen. You just need to force it into happening. Because there's like too many things to manage and it's too difficult. And there's like a thousand new pieces. So I say it all the time. Say it to our project manager. Hang on, I need you to will it to happen. Right? And when he does, oh man, it feels so good. It feels good. And that's something we can do in relationships. We can do it in our work. We can do it to our children. We can will them into being obedient, wonderful children. Right? <laughs> we can just get control of how we do this, or like, make them do this, right? We'll make them want to clean their room. That is beyond incorrect. But the average one, that's beyond incorrect. But we want this. We want this this idea of power. We want the system to work for us. And so, when the system does, we believe in the system. And we root for the system. And we vote for the system. And we champion that system. When When the system is good for us, Oh man, it's delicious. When, when the system set into place by the world gives us power or sets us a leg up or gives us a little more, oh, it is, it just, we just forget that there's others, right? When we get the power and we get the control, we feel like we've earned the power and we've earned the control, right? Because we worked really hard or because we were savvy or because we have charisma, or whatever else. And so when we get power, when we get authority, it feels like we just deserved it, right? Well, I've earned this authority. I've earned this power. I've worked hard for it. In fact, it's only been graciously given to us. The point of us being able to serve, and to give, and to to enjoy the kingdom of hand in the midst of it. Yet we think, because we've earned it, it's for us. We think power, we think authority, we think glory, is somehow we get tricked and we all of a sudden think we deserved it. Right? Instead of being graciously given, James goes on to say, past that passage about temptation and sin, don't be, it's like, don't be fooled. Every perfect and good gift came from the Father above. It's not an errant thing by you. This power you've been graciously given is a gift. It is not something you deserve or own or give, or can use for your own glory. It is not what it's for about. Every good and perfect gift given to us. And Jesus knows this well. Jesus, yes, one of the temptations is to, to worship 
this, this devil to get these things. But Jesus addresses, no, 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 I'm not, there's only one to worship. It's the Father. That has so many layers to it, though. It's not just, oh, I shouldn't worship Satan. We can all agree that, yes, that's probably bad. Worshiping God, probably better, right? That's an easy one. But in fact, do we really believe that it's better than worshiping ourselves, or our power, or the system, or our opportunity? Really, do we want to worship God more than our opportunity? Do we give, in fact, more of ourselves to the kingdom of heaven at hand than to our own being acknowledged or being seen or being praised? Do we really do that? Because I think that's a major part of that temptation. I think just as Jesus is saying, no, I'm not going to worship you, I think also Jesus is saying, no, I don't want to worship me either. I don't want to worship my own desire for success and glory and authority and control and power. In fact, I want to give those to God and play my role quietly. And I think if we understood that and lived that and understood that our desire actually is for those things, just as Jesus is led and tempted in those things, that is also ours. And maybe the, the opposite, the inverse of that, instead of saying, okay, Austin, don't seek control in this situation. Please don't seek glory. Don't do that. Maybe instead of that, it's saying, no, I want God to have all those things. How with my life can I give God all of the power? How can I acknowledge that all of this is God's control? How can I acknowledge that within my house, in my family, at 3517, how can I acknowledge that in fact that is God's place of authority? But not my own. That I shouldn't try to supplant that with my own will for my wife or my children or myself or our money. How can I do that? How can I not supplant that? How can I say no? I do actually want to worship God with all of these things. The temptation isn't just to worship the devil or not. It's self. How, in fact, can we say no to that? How, in fact, can we turn that on its head and say no, in fact, I want God to have all those things. I want to acknowledge that with my life. Not just say it in my head and forget it because I still, the power is still delicious. How can I do that? And going on forward, it even says, um, takes him to Jerusalem, sets him on the pinnacle of the temple, says to him, if you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest your foot strike against the stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And the devil, he intends to move more things, and to do everything. And then leaves. But what's the temptation here? What's that last one that we haven't mentioned? What's the last one? All right, to go from the temple. So there's something I'll say to you. What's the temptation? Making God work for you. Making God work for you. Okay. No right. suffering. Okay. All right. Maybe there's no suffering idea. Your foot won't strike the stone. Angels will always protect. Right. Okay. What else? Proof. What is it? Proof? Yeah. This would prove proof. to everyone that yes. I am the Son of God. Yes, because God would obviously save me. And there would be no Jump. faith necessary. Float down, or whatever it may be. Right. No faith necessary. Just be proof. What else? Who they are and that they're right. right. Maybe that would be 
I mean, people tempt Jesus on that forever. Always. Like, if you're the Son of God, do this. Pharisees ask him all the time. Like, they try to trick him with wisdom and answers, and he ends up being wise. They don't even answer their questions, they just ask them questions. They say, if you're really the Son of God, who sinned? This man or his parents? Right? Heal him, please. Yeah. What else? Is maybe, is maybe the doubt that, and this is just one that I've kind of been struggling with this week, is it maybe that God would want to save him? Maybe it's as his innate person, that if he did jump down, God would save him. And here, here's why I say that. I've been wondering for us, as an us again, especially myself on this one, for sure, this idea that the, the temptation to put God to the test, this temptation for proof, this temptation for legitimacy, this temptation for, for protection to not go through harm. I, I wonder if it's like this leper that's coming very soon, like three chapters from now, two chapters from now, who comes to Jesus and he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Right? It's not a, it's not a question of power here. To the left. It's not a question of power. He's asking, are you willing to help me? Are you willing to heal me? Are you willing to send your angels to not let my foot strike against the stone, maybe? It's the, I wonder if it's not the willingness. If again, we're talking about Jesus as person and Jesus as his own desires. I wonder if it's to have proof that God would save, that God would help, right? That God would step in. Is this true that even I matter and that really I'm on this road to the cross, and until then, we are we are together. What what suffering am I really going to encounter along the way? Right? What's really going to hurt me along the way? What am I coming to at the end of my life? Is God really willing to save us? Is God willing to protect? Is God willing to, to care for us? And I wonder if that's not the temptation a little bit, because I noticed for for me that's probably why I want control. Of myself as well. That's why I want to make my own bread. Because basic, deep down, I think a lot of us really wonder if God's willing to see us. Yes, we can tell someone God's willing to save them, to help them, to heal them, to take care of them, to work in their marriage, to help their sick child. We're, we're willing to say that to other people, right? A lot of us say it without a doubt. No, I really feel like God's going to help you with this. Like God can come and change this part of your life. But when it's us, I wonder if we doubt that. I wonder if we doubt our worthiness to be saved. I wonder if we doubt God would care that much or see us. I wonder if we wonder if we deserve it somehow, like we've earned it with our sin, or whatever else. You know what I mean? We, we, I wonder us if we if we doubt, maybe it's even the proof, the legitimacy. The amount of suffering, what if it's all tied into God's willingness to help us? Maybe the testing that he would have done is the test if God was willing to save his son, willing to really reach out and stop him from doing this. How would that look again? It's a dramatic story. He's going to jump from the temple. You know, I don't know how interesting that would be interesting. But I wonder if it's the willingness we're questioning. And I wonder if our, in our own life is that. Is God willing to, like, am I worth God to do, like? And this temptation, for whatever reason, we don't see 
has a desire to lead us away from the kingdom of heaven at hand for I don't know why. We feel like somehow being um, masochistic to ourselves or making ourselves this martyr that we'll just have to suffer or just have to be troubled all our life. I don't know why that's not seen as something not righteous. That's something not, again, not to test God in that way, but also not to doubt God in that way. You know? To not doubt that it's not, it's not joking when in Jeremiah it says there's plans for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, hope and future. Just call on me and I will answer you. Seek me with all your heart. Seek me and find me. Seek me with all your heart. Seek, seek. I want to be found. Right? No, I want to give hope and a future. I have, I have again, there's, there's New Testament over and over again, this idea that there are, there are deeds set before you, there are things for you to accomplish set before you for the kingdom of heaven that, that are ready to be done by you. And to enjoy knowing God wants you to do them and succeed in them and to enjoy them. I wonder if we just feel like that's for everyone else and not us. Maybe God's not looking directly at us. Maybe we're just a tool for someone else to be able to, you know, all those things. And while that humility, can, we can think it's humility a lot of times it's disguised as that so that we can doubt God's willingness to love us. Have his hands on our to guide us forward with a hope in the future. Right? Um, and in these things, in these, just these three brief, again, we only have three brief temptations here that are written down. In these three, I think for us as a church should get home to us pretty well. Um, I don't think that makes us totally different than society, the world, or Christianity as a whole. But I think for us, these three are pretty, pretty blatant in our lives. Fucking being so bold. Mostly because I know it's in my life. I would like me enough. Less crazy, but like me enough. And so I wonder then for us, what Lent seeking righteousness and repentance looks like for us. I wonder what it looks like to repent for us, to repent from holding on to the ability to make our own bread, to provide for ourselves, to make it happen, to will it to be ourselves. And I wonder what it looks like. Because to say that is one thing, but to act that out in daily life is very confusing to tell someone how to do, right? That is, that's tricky. I'm saying it now, like, of course, Lose control over whatever. How? How do you do that? How do you lose control over making your kid do something, right? How do you lose control over making sure that you have money next week for your rent? I mean, like, don't go to work and see if God gives you the money. I mean, that's obviously not part of the testament, too, right? But I wonder for you what that repentance looks like, and for me what that looks like. And I wonder then, too, this idea of not seeking power and control and not wanting glory from the things we have power and control and not, not putting into the system that gives it to you even. I wonder what that looks like for each of us. I wonder what repentance of that looks like. It's seeking the opposite looks like. Instead of seeking power, I wonder what it looks like to seek God's power. Instead of seeking control over a situation, I wonder what it looks like to seek God to have control over that through us through this, I don't know. I'm unsure of that with you. I don't know. 
And I wonder what it looks like for us to repent of this idea that maybe God's not willing to prove or show or protect or love you. To not do wonderful and exciting things in the kingdom, to not have your role played by you well with humility. I wonder what that looks like to repent of that and say, no, no, God is willing. Like the leper. No, Jesus saying says, Oh, I am willing to be clean. He didn't say, Of course I have the power. He says, Oh, I'm willing to share it with you. I'm willing to clean. I'm willing to heal you. And does, right? I wonder what that repentance for us on this first week of when looks like. And I wonder as we're walking through with Jesus through temptation, through Jesus' life, through rejection, through seeking people to love, through asking them to love him as well, through raising Lazarus from the dead, through all these stories we're going to walk through together, the prodigal son, through his death and cross, through, through these things, as we start to walk with Jesus through that, I wonder what our repentance and what our loosing our own desires walking in righteousness looks like. I want us to do it together. I want us to enjoy it together. I mean, I know for me, one for sure step would be to allow someone my burdens. It's an easy one for me. Four, four weeks and weeks. I've done nothing. That's an, that's an obvious one for me. But what is it for us to be us? So, here's what we'll do. Um, we'll stand together. We're going to have communion on that note. Communion needs to look a little differently today, um, just for this reason. We're only going to do one song uh, during communion to save time for our family meeting, okay? For the state of the church kind of family sit down conversation together, okay? So um, I would encourage you, if you want to take communion with us, to go ahead.